Welcome back, friends. You are listening to Ill Natured, a true crime podcast. I'm Alyssa. And I'm McKay. We have a super special guest today, and it's my hubby, um, Michelle, God bless her, had the stomach bug, and even though this is technically not coming out on time, because we have, I've been having computer issues, Wi-Fi issues, all these issues, so it's not technically coming out on time, but we tried, and we really wanted to get an episode out for y'all this week, um, so... McKay is joining us today. Um, McKay. Yes? What are you thinking, babe? I'm um, just, uh, I don't know how I'm going to deal with all the murder and stuff in this episode. So. Yeah, tell them how much you love true crime. Um, not a fan. <laughs> so this will be an interesting episode and I'm excited. Um, we don't really have much business to get into today. Um, so we're just going to jump in. I have a super awful story to tell y'all. And this is going to be the first of its kind on the podcast, so I hope I can do the case justice. Um, the victim in this case is transgender, or what we would consider transgender nowadays. I don't believe that was officially, like, a term back then. Um, and he certainly never used the term... But the reason I bring this up in the beginning is because different sources have different references to him being a girl in different parts and a boy. And it just kind of mixes up the pronouns all over the place. So I wanted to go ahead and like kind of bring that up to begin with. And I'm going to do my best to respect Brandon's choices and his pronouns. But if I accidentally misspeak, I want to go ahead and say it was a knowing to... Be disrespectful, and I don't intend on offending anyone with this case, and I hope I really can do it justice. With that being said, let's talk about the tragic, senseless, disgusting murder of Brandon Tina. Now, Brandon Tina was originally born Tina Renee Brandon on December 12th, 1972 in Nebraska. Brandon was raised along with his sister by a single mother named Joanne Brandon. Brandon's father, Pat, had actually been killed in an accident before he was born at the age of 19 years old. The car accident actually flipped three times, and Joanne had heard about the accident over the radio, but didn't realize it was her husband until she got home and saw the officer. Oh, my God. Isn't that horrible? Yes. Also, another thing McKay doesn't like to talk about, <laughs> spouse deaths. Yeah, it just makes me sad. I mean, it makes me sad, too, but, like, whoa. Yeah. That's crazy that she heard it, like, on the radio and didn't even realize. Yeah, that's, like, what my nightmares are made of. I agree. But Joanne was still in denial a bit when the officer was there until he handed her his wallet. 
And she was like, well, that doesn't really prove anything. Like, you could have stolen his wallet. And then the officer was like, okay, well, here's his wedding ring, which he allegedly never took off. And so she just collapsed in tears. And, like, that's when she knew. Mm. And she was, I want to say that she was pregnant when this happened. Like, eight months pregnant when this happened. So, like, the pregnancy hormones are probably raging. It's just probably, like, a, a really... Oh, my God. I couldn't imagine. <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? Lover? Uh, I, think I'm, I think you know what that means. So, another thing is, is, like, Joanne... So, keep in mind, so, when this was happening, when her husband died, Joanne was pregnant, and she had a child... Her first daughter was born when she was only 14 years old. Golly. And then when all this was going on, she was 16 when Brandon was born. Or when Tina, because Brandon was originally Tina. So when Tina was born. Joanne struggled to provide for her children, obviously, because she's 16 years old with two kids. So the kids moved in with their maternal grandmother for a couple of years before Joanne got them back. Will you rub my legs? This is a great, awesome... So this is why I was brought into this podcast. This is a great relaxation time. This is awesome. Joanne was doing what she could, but what she was receiving in disability checks and a small check she received from the retail store barely got them by. Joanne was so sick often that at one point, I believe, she was only living off the disability checks. Which couldn't have been much, you know, especially back then. Yeah. Unfortunately, it got worse for the children because at some point in their childhood, both Tammy and Tina were sexually assaulted or molested by an uncle. And in one source I read, it said Tammy reported it to their grandmother, but their grandmother completely ignored her. Throw them all underneath the jail. That is... Oh, my God. That's in, like... (sighs) That's like the origin story of, like, the saddest childhood and start the life of you can have i think i know but i don't i just and some people and we'll get into it a little bit later on so i don't want to jump too much ahead but growing up tina never really had like much of a girly side you know she always was described as a tomboy and like to wear baggy clothes and more masculine clothing even from a young age she was at a catholic school So, a lot of times her mother would force her to wear dresses, but Tina hated it. And I want to say that one of her excuses was because boys would look up her dress and she didn't like that. Yeah, I don't think most of them would. She also loved playing football, which, like, all of this doesn't mean... I mean, like, I... I, It doesn't really mean much because, like, I also love playing football. Like, I would go play football with my cousins every day after school. I mean, you're a boy, so I guess it's different for you. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go into play Barbie. I mean, you could have caught me riding around in a Barbie Jeep a little, you know, just a little bit. Yeah. Them things haul butt. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, 
And her behavior was said, like, she tried to mimic behavior from local boys in town. Once Tina hit puberty, she actually started binding her breast and started dating girls and going by more masculine names such as Billy and eventually settled on Brandon, as we know. This is when she... She should have picked a name like Bartholomew. That's a horrible name. Uh, you, that's there's no mistake in that name. It's masculine. Well, well, Brandon is too. Do you know any ladies named Brandon? How many tough guys do you know named Brandon? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to all the Brandons out there. My name's McKay. In case y'all don't know that, um, that yeah. could also be a feminine name. So maybe it's just some pin up in her, some pin up. Put up energy? No, some. Bye. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm trying to say. It sounds like a girl's name. People are like, is that a girl's name? No. Well, yeah, it could no. Be. It could be. <laughs> it is. Yeah. All right. Not for my boo bear, it's not, but that's okay. I love your name, babe. <laughs> it's better than Alicia. It's better than Alicia. Okay, back to the case. So, for real though, later on in teen years, he actually started stuffing rolled up socks down in his pants because he was wanting to pass as a guy. I'm trying to be comedic relief, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to think of something else funny to say. Yeah, McKay really is awkward and struggles in situations. He's in- We're cutting this out. Uh, like, hey, what are we cutting out? <laughs> this is a bad idea. <laughs> I love you. Okay. Why do we start? I'm starting back over anyway. <laughs> During this time, he... <coughs> Okay. I'm sorry. All right. Okay. Actors go through this shit all the time, okay? We're not actors. All right. Go ahead. Okay, thank you. During this time period, he was having what they called a sexual identity crisis. Because, like I said, I don't think they had really, like, termed. And I don't think they really understood, you know, like, what transgender really meant. What year was this again? This would have been when he was growing up, so before 93, like in the late 80s, early 90s. Oh, okay. So, this is back when, like, I feel like a lot of people, this is like when I feel like gay people might have, I don't know how to, like, not I'm coming gonna, out in public, but, like, you know, like, they people were more aware of them. I, yeah, the 80s were pretty wild with that. Yeah, and so I feel like they just didn't understand, you know, because a lot of people were saying, oh, well, you're just a lesbian, and he... You were either straight, gay, or lesbian at that in that point. Right. That's what they looked at. Right, 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 right. And he was like, I'm not lesbian. Like, he literally thought, like, that was disgusting. So. 
it was just a different time and they didn't really understand how to put it into words, basically. His mother was not so accepting of his choice and still would refer to him as her daughter. And another thing I want to point out right here is we're going to, from here on out, I'm going to refer to Brandon as a male. I want to bring the fact that a lot of articles were trying to, quote-unquote, blame Brandon's choice on the long-term sexual abuse by the uncle and a rape that occurred in high school. Um, but I do think Brandon just happened to be trans, and I don't think it had anything to do with the sexual assaults that he had happened to him, if that makes sense. I mean, I could see it being either way. I can too, but I feel like that's not, no. like, not, every, you know, like, I don't feel like there has to be a reason, you know, like, you don't have to have a, find a reason for that. Okay. Like, that's just how they are. Yeah. Now, while in high school, Brandon jumped from place to place and at one point was living with Tracy Beals. Now, in the book, All She Wanted by Aphrodite Jones, it suggested that Brandy and Tracy were more than friends and that Tracy kind of dominated and abused Brandon. But on the Generation Y pod's coverage of this case, they never mentioned any of that and just suggested that Brandy and Tracy were friends and had lived together for a period of time. Either way, Brandon moved out of Tracy's and into Tammy's, the sister, you know, his sister, for a little while before she was sus suspecting him of stealing. So he was forced to go back to his mother's house. Brandon got expelled from school shortly before graduation, so he never finished high school. And after this, Brandon tried finding work and got a fake ID so he could pass his mail 100% all the time. He enlisted in the military but failed the written exam when he listed his sex as male. So he was very adamant that he was male. And, like, yeah. at, of course, like I said, at this time, people were like, Yeah, they weren't playing that. Yeah, yeah. They were not understanding. They were not accepting. It was all of that, as we know. Because, I mean, I, I mean, it just really became something that I is more mainstream, more accepting within the last, what? Five years. Yeah, time. I was going to say like five years. So in December of 1990, a girl named Liz Delano called Brandon by accident one night. Now, Brandon answered the phone as Billy Brinson, which was the alias he used sometimes. They met and went roller skating on a double date with friends. And in the book, it claimed that Liz was 13 years old, but nothing sexual was going on. It was just like a friend's type deal. I think Brandon was kind of getting used to being a guy. This is also when Brandon met a girl named Heather who was 14 years old. Heather and Brandon started dating, and she was his first kiss. This is really when Joanne disrespected Brandon's wishes, because anytime Heather would call looking for Billy, she would say that there was no one that lived there by that name. And she only referred to Brandon, like I said, as her daughter, or Tina, which is what her birth name was. She said she was, quote, not going to play that game, end quote. 
and Brandon, obviously hurt by this and determined to do what made him happy, moved out again and this time moved in with Heather and her mom, both of whom thought Brandon was biologically a boy. Joanne was mad about what Brandon was doing, so she kept calling Ruth, which was Heather's mom, leaving angry voicemails saying that Brandon was her daughter and she was a lesbian, which, like I said earlier, he hated being referred to. And even when he was Tina, like I said, he did not like anyone calling him a lesbian. Neither of them believed Joanne, though, and thought she was just lying. Ruth got so fed up with it that she ended up calling police and they had served Joanne with a criminal complaint for disturbing the peace. Tell like she was harassing them pretty bad. Well, I was about to say, like, she must have been, like, calling and calling and calling and leaving voicemail over voicemail over voicemail. Which is, like, dang, like, I understand, like, not being happy with your kids' choices, but, like, going that hard after them? Just, like, let, leave them alone, man. Hell, it was a real different time back then. I know, but whoa. Yeah, I'm not trying to defend that mom or nothing. Now, you see, Brandon told Heather one night that he is actually a hermaphrodite. Now, according to Jones's books, he told her that he was raised a female and allegedly told her he had an operation, presumably the sex change operation, which, to my knowledge, he never had. Now, I don't think he was necessarily trying to lie when he said he was a hermaphrodite because, like I said, back in the late 80s and early 90s, this wasn't really known and talked about, so I I wonder if some people think this is the easiest way how they could describe how they felt to others. Like, I feel like Brandon was like, I'm a hermaphrodite. That's the easiest way to explain to you how I feel. Like yeah. I, you know, like, I was born a girl, but I, I'm a boy. I don't know. It's like, like, I don't understand it, of course, because, like, I'm not transgender, and that's something most people or anybody that's not transgender is not going to understand. And so, it was even hard for him to understand it and be able to put into words. Yeah. And I'm also really going to quickly put in here that I'm going to try not to jump around too much in the timeline but it's kind of slightly different in every source I could find. I really, really tried piecing this case together the best I could because holy moly at all the sources and like how they put things together it was, it was really scrambled and I was like I think they were getting a lot of stuff confused and there's not a lot of good documents out there that you can verify stuff on. So, I tried to do it the best I could. Anywho, he liked to wine and dine his ladies, and he liked to treat them nice. He liked to take them out. But the unfortunate thing was, is he didn't make a lot of money. And so, this is when he kind of got into a pretty bad habit. And that would have Ben, he started picking up, um, you know, stealing from other people and forging checks. Yeah, so uh, what his, what he did when he was younger, he decided to run with that, huh? Stealing money from his old roommate. He's stealing from everybody. Well, it wasn't his old roommate. That was his sister. Oh, oh yeah. 
But no. yes, um, Lincoln police actually picked him up several times for misusing ATM cards and forging checks. This was also the time that he dropped Billy and was only going by Brandon. Now, sources differ on the exact way this happened, but Brandon was in jail, I believe, for one of the forging, you know, forgery charges when Heather was approached by one of Brandon's friends named Sarah. Now, Sarah grew up with Brandon, and she had known him since they were probably about 12 or 13, so probably right at the age of, like, preteen years when she was kind of deciding that, you know, he felt like he, he, you know, all that kind of stuff was going on. And so, Sarah basically was talked into exposing Brandon as a biological female. There was no sex reconstruction surgery or anything like that. And she was put up to all this by Joanne. So, Joanne went to Sarah, one of her son's friends, and was like, can I really talk you into going up to his girlfriend and exposing him just to ruin his life because I don't like his choices? I mean, what did she expect to gain from all that? That's my part. Like, what? Why? Mm. Anyways, of course, when Heather heard the truth and, and understood, like, really what she was being told, she felt betrayed and left Brandon. Now, this is according to a couple of sources, and some say they broke up because he was in trouble often, but regardless, they did break up. And shortly after this, around January of 1992, Brandon swallowed a whole bunch of antibiotics in an attempt to kill himself. I mean, thankfully, he was rushed to the hospital, and he was saved. He was transferred to Lancaster County Crisis Center and had a psychiatric evaluation done. He was able to start receiving counseling there, and this is where he was officially diagnosed with a severe sexual identity crisis. After Heather, Brandon dated multiple different women, and one of them he actually was engaged to for a short period of time. Now, her name was Gina, and she actually recalled having a conversation with Brandon about him being hermaphrodite as well. And she said that anytime she questioned him on it, less further in the transition he was so originally when he was talking to her he was fully male the transition was complete and then the more like she asked questions and the more he talked about it you know the less and less it was done like you know it was like three quarters of the way done halfway so they knew up front what was going on in these these relationships the women know no so they still didn't know like, when they first get into a relationship with Brandon, they would assume that he was a biologically male. Yeah. In this instance, I guess, I don't know, like, I think in some time he would eventually tell them, like, he yeah. was hermaphrodite or whatever. So he was, like, catfishing them, like, face to face. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Sort of, yeah, I guess. Either way, it didn't matter because soon Brandon was proposing to Gina and Gina actually found out that Brandon bought the ring on her own credit card and when she confronted him about it, he denied it. It seemed like he really, really had a problem staying out of trouble. 
In March of 1992, Brandon was sentenced to 18 months of probation following a conviction for forgery, and he was ordered to receive therapy, but he unfortunately failed to attend regularly, and he did not complete the required educational sessions that would help in him getting his GED. So, the therapist that I saw him at the time documented, quote, Tina does what is needed to get by. No changes noted in taking responsibility, personal growth, or attitude, end quote. He was eventually terminated from the therapy, cro- therapy program, and according to Ranker.com, since this was a part of his probation, the court issued a warrant for his arrest in 1993. Now, Brayden decided that staying in Lincoln was not the best idea for him so he packed up his bags and he left so he could move somewhere he could restart where no one would knew know him and he could just you know start with a clean slate he moved to fall city nebraska so he could start over in late 1993 he fully presented as a male and since no one there knew him they didn't realize he was a born biologically female Brandon met and befriended Lisa Lambert, a single mother. I want to say she was 23 or 24, my age. Um, And he moved in with her in her older farmhouse in the rural area of Humboldt, Nebraska. So, didn't move too far away, huh? I don't know how far Falls City was, but Nebraska could is like really big. Hmm. I'm moving to Columbus. <laughs> Do you think you're going to move to Columbus and anybody know you, Heifer? No. Do you think you're going to move to Albany and, and that many the, people know you? This was the 90s, too, so. Yeah, let's get real. Okay. Uh, so, he eventually met and started dating Lena Tisdale, who was Lisa's 17-year-old friend. She was a blonde, outspoken girl who Brandon fell for the second he laid eyes on her. Lana always said that Brandon was polite and unlike any other guy she had met. She felt like she was finally being treated like a lady should be treated. And Lana's mom later agreed that he was always compassionate and kind. Which is, hmm, hmm. Sus thinking about what she does later, but we'll talk about that in a moment. Through Lena is how he actually met John Lauder and Tom Neeson, two stinky pieces of shit who had criminal... (laughs) They are. I believe you. Can't wait to find out. By November 1993, Brandon was getting arrested again, this time for an open container in the vehicle. He was arrested, and since he was using his cousin's ID, he was able to convince, quote-unquote, convince officers he was a man named Charles Brayman. He had to appear in court on the 15th. Golly! He's like a con artist. Well, I was going to say, like, he really was doing some illegal shit. I bet Charles was pissed when he found out. (laughs) Well, and the thing is, is, like, regardless of what he did before, it doesn't... Negate the fact that he was brutally murdered, which we're about to get to. Oh, yeah. I keep forgetting about that. <laughs> yeah. you like, I know you do because you're not used to this. Yeah. But let me remind you. I don't know if he was doing the murdering. but He's things... not doing the murdering. Right. He's the one getting murdered. <laughs> okay. 
So, he had to appear in court on the 15th, and during this court appearance, he entered a not guilty plea and was released on recognizance. Now, do you know what that means? Mm, like, when people, like, you're watching people? That's reconnaissance. No, I have no idea what that means. Reconnaissance. Recognizance. Recognizance. Okay. Recognizance. Mm-hmm. Recognizance. Why don't you spell it real quick? It's right there. I'm just kidding. Anyways, it's where they let them out on the promise. Basically, they'll come back for their trial. Oh, yeah. I promise. <laughs> Anyways. The pinky promise. <laughs> 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 they can't do it for like serious, serious grounds. Like they won't do it. Yeah, no order. shit. <laughs> <laughs> but on the way out of court, he was stopped by an officer that addressed him by his real name and asked him for an interview upstairs. <clears throat> <clears throat> he was confronted about his true identity and his forging checks. When Brandon admitted to it, he was arrested again. So, like, did the cop, like, say Tina, or did did he say Brandon? Like, does he know everything, or what? Sorry. I don't really know, actually. That's a good question. I would assume... Brandon? No. Tina? Yeah, because he was booked into the jail as Tina. Mm. And he was being housed in the women's section of the prison. Mm. So, when word got out around town that Brandon was biologically a female, a lot of people were confused or enraged. And one Lena went and visited Brandon. I believe he gave her the hermaphrodite story, and she later claims that Old she, faithful. Yeah. She later claimed that she ended the romantic relationship with Brandon then and there, but other sources claim they stayed in relationship for a little bit longer. Either way, she did end up boasting her bail, posting his bail. Excuse me. Actually, her father gave her a blank check, and she was supposed to go get a perm with it. But, you know, beauty be damned. <laughs> we have to go get the mans out of jail. So... Actually, in one source, the New Yorker, it claimed that since Lena was underage, someone had to sign the bond agreement for her that was 18 years or older. So, Thomas Neeson's the one that signed, and I want you to keep that in mind. He's one of the uh, asswipes we mentioned earlier, or whatever I called him. Now, as I mentioned... I think you said shit bag. Shit stain. Shit stain? Okay. I mean, I can use a lot of words. Okay. I like shit bag. That's a good one. Okay. A little nugget of turd coming out. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> okay. Good lord. Now, as I mentioned, there were people that were mad about Brandon going by the opposite gender that he was given at birth. And two of those people were John Lauder and Tom Neeson, who we just mentioned a second ago. Lena and John actually previously dated, and both men were allegedly friends with Brandon. But once they caught wind that he was biologically a she, they were obsessed with embarrassing him and proving he had women's reproductive parts. 
Now, it's really rewarding from here on out because it's really going to get rough for a little while. Mm. <laughs> Joy, I know. I McKay's it, excited. I knew it was coming. I knew. We were halfway through the episode. It was coming eventually. It all starts on December 24th, 1993. Yes, Christmas freaking Eve. So, Brandon showed up to Tom's house for a party along with a group of other people. And they were all reportedly drinking alcohol and I assume just chilling. But, not too long after, Tom and John were starting to verbally harass Brandon while he was just sitting alone with Lena minding his own business. They would throw out slurs and threats. Typically, you know, Brandon was good at calming situations like these. But these two were so relentless. They just kept on and on and on. As the night went on, the pair forced Brandon into the bathroom, pulled his pants and underwear down to reveal his private area. Jesus. Now, sources differ on exactly what went down. And some people say they forced the entire group to to look or just Lena. But either way, they were in there with Brandon. Elena said that, quote, he started apologizing, and I told him, male or female, you will still be my friend. I loved him as a person, end quote. They sound like some real 80s, 90s bullies from, like, a movie or TV show. Yeah, but they're really about to go off their freaking rocker, so hold on to your britches. Unfortunately, the pair, like I said, did not stop there. That's what Brandon should have done. Hold on to your britches. A few days later, in the early morning hours of Christmas morning, they kidnapped Brandon and drove him out into the middle of nowhere and brutally raped and beat him. Jesus. When they were done with the attack, they told him if he told anyone, they would kill him. Tom and John forced Brandon back into the car and took him back to one of their houses and told him to clean up. But instead of showering, Brandon snuck out the window and ran to Lena's house. And he showed up bruised and bloody. And he was telling Lena and her mother, Linda, that he had been, of course, beaten and raped by Tom and John. Lena asked if he had reported it yet. And he said no, he didn't plan to in fear, of course. But Lena and Linda were able to convince him to report the attack. Remember who forced him to report it? Not forced him, but kind of pushed him to is what I'm yeah. gathering. So, they go to the hospital where he had a rape kit done. And that showed semen in the anus and in vaginal cavities oh, and God. revealed trauma. After this, Brandon reported the attack to the Richardson County Sheriff's Department. Now, what I'm going to tell you, despite what you may feel about Brandon's choices as far as sexuality and how he chose to identify... This should blow your mind. Sheriff Charles Lau really, really let his personal beliefs rule how he handled the situation. And that should never happen in a criminal investigation. Whether Brandon was a girl, a boy, an alien, whatever, it doesn't justify what happened to him and what has yet to happen to him in this story. So, with that being said, Sheriff Lau decided to start with a vicious, condescending interrogation of... I think, I think it's pronounced Low. Sorry. Low? Yeah, it's like a Cajun name. L-A-U-X. Isn't that Low? Like, sorry. I would say Lau because, like... I was thinking that sounded kind of Asian. 
Oh. But it's spelled Cajun. <laughs> let's just call. Let's just call Mister L. Or what was his first name? Sheriff Charles. We'll call him Charles. Sheriff Charles. Charles. Anyways, he decided to start with a vicious, condescending interrogation of Brandon mere hours after he had been attacked. Now, we're going to go through parts of this questioning, but I'm going to give y'all a trigger warning because he does get a little graphic with some of his so-called questions. Now, Sheriff, quote, All right, so after he pulled your pants down and seen that you were a girl, what did he do? Did he fondle you any? End quote. Brandon, no. Sheriff, quote, he didn't fondle you any, huh? Didn't that kind of amaze you? After he pulled your pants down and had wanted to take you to bed and you told him no, that you was a boy and you couldn't do that? Doesn't that kind of get your attention somehow that he would put his hands in your pants and play with you a little bit, huh? What? Yeah, like he's asking this when, like, what is, this is. Like he's been there? Like he's like, that's what I do. <laughs> I mean, it's like sick. Yeah, I don't like it at all. Brandon. It's like he's playing pretend like he's that person. Ugh. Creepy. Brandon said, I don't know what he did. Sheriff. Huh. I can't believe that he pulled your pants down and you are a female that he didn't stick his hand in you or his finger in you. Like, he's sitting here saying, I can't believe he didn't. He's like, I can't believe. That's what I always do in that situation. That's like, ugh. Yeah. And Brandon was like, well, he didn't. And the sheriff was like, well, can't believe he didn't. Like, disgusting. A little bit later on, another interaction goes like this. Sheriff, all right. After he got his pants down, he got a spread of you? Or had you spread out? And he got a spread of you then. Then what happened? Also, I want to take a break. Do you know how effing hard it was to read this? Like, how illiterate is this sheriff? Honestly, I feel like I'm having a stroke trying to read this. Trying to script. He got a spread of you. Yeah, like... Okay, yep. When... This is what Brandon said. When he finished, he got out of the car and got back in the driver's door. Sheriff, well, how did... Uh, let's back up here a second. First of all, you didn't say anything about him getting up. Did he have a hard on when he got back there or what? Brandon, I don't know. I didn't look. You just picked a great episode for me, didn't you? Yes. God. Sheriff. Uncomfortable. You. I don't think he would have liked any of his <laughs> Let's yeah. be real. You didn't look. Did he take a little time working it up or what? Did you work it up for him? Brandon. No, I didn't. Sheriff. You didn't work it up for him? Brandon. No. Sheriff. Do you think he had it worked up on his own or what? Brandon, I guess so. I don't know. Sheriff, and you have never had sex before? Brandon, no. Now, I'm going to give you one more example of what was going on within the first set of questions. Now, keep in mind, hours after he was attacked. Like, this is a big detail to keep in mind. This isn't like days later. Like, he was just attacked. And he's at, and like the way he's like phrasing these questions is just, yeah, gross. Yeah, I don't I know. know. Like, I don't even know how to explain it. It's, it's just like, like he's trying to be like gives he, me the ick. Yeah, he's like he wants to be that guy. 
I was just like, man, I, that's not what I'd have done. Or, well, yeah, like he's, he's like, trying oh, to put really? himself in the in the rapist shoes. Is what it sounds Ugh, like. I just don't like it. Yeah. Now, sheriff said, "Why do you run around with girls instead of guys? Being you are a girl yourself, why do you make girls think you're a guy?" Brandon, I haven't the slightest idea. Sheriff, you haven't the slightest idea. You go around kissing other girls. Brandon, the ones that I know that know about me. Sheriff, the ones. The girls that don't know about you think you're a guy. Do you kiss them? Brandon, what does that have to do with anything that happened last night? Sheriff, because I'm trying to get some answers so I know exactly what's going on. Now, do you want to answer that question for me or not? Brandon, do I have to? Sheriff, the only thing is if it goes to court, that answer, the question is going to come up at court. And I'm going to want an answer for it before it goes to court. See what I'm saying? End quote. Brandon, I have a sexual identity crisis. Sheriff, you what? Brandon, I have a sexual identity crisis. So, as you can see, there was zero urgency at all during this entire interview and whatever you want to to call it he just seemed to be making fun of the situation he did not give off the vibes to feel like he was doing his job like f minus at best first of all he says it didn't amaze you that he didn't try to fondle you like what relevance does that have to the investigation at all but if brandon was going by like i it was all about the sexuality yeah Yes. The sheriff saw that Brandon was having, like he said, a sexual identity crisis in this way. And was like, mm, I don't really know about all that. And like, just kind of yeah, downplayed what happened to him, basically. If he were trying to get details about the attack, he sure asked in a very, very bad way. Yep. Also, the sheriff was asking, like, if he had helped either of the boys, like, get it up. And I was like... Yeah, he was trying... I guess what he... I don't know. I guess he was just trying to see if there was any, like, reason that it wouldn't be considered a rape. Like, he was like... Well, I wonder that, too. I wonder if he was trying to get Brandon to say that he asked for it, in a way, basically. Um, like, and he... Like, and then, like, him crying about whether he kisses girls, and, like, whether the girls know about him, and all that. Like, there was no relevance to that. Mm -mm. So, why are we even bringing up? He should have gotten the facts about what happened, and then went and arrested Tom and John immediately. But instead... The sheriff was confused about the sexuality of Brandon, and we all know how the LGBTQ community was treated back in the early 90s. He was just so derogatory towards Brandon and about the situation, and he would refer to his private area as his box, which makes me a little, like, cringe. I hate it, like, that a sheriff... And Sheriff got enjoyment for making Brandon admit that he had a vagina. Like, in one part of the questioning, the Sheriff was like, you was on your back. Where did they try to pop it in at first? Ugh. Yeah. And made Brandon answer is he dig- appropriately. Is he digging in his belly button while he's saying all this Ew. stuff? Ew. Gross. That's, what I get the- That's the feeling I get from this creep. Yeah, he gives you the ick. 
Where did it pop it in? Oh. Ew. Pulling out dust bunnies out of his belly button. That's gross. Sick. Yeah, that is sick. <laughs> Next, Linda, Lena's mother, went to Tom and John. So, Linda, the one that got Brandon to go to, to go the police, yeah. went to Tom and John and told them that Brandon had went to the police. Uh, after she knows that, they said they threatened to kill yeah. Brandon. Yeah. If he went, if he told anybody. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Really because cool of, move, lady. Because she does not like the fact that Brandon has, you know, they all think he's been playing pretend, essentially. Yeah. It's like how they look at it. And she doesn't like that. Like, they feel like he's been wearing a mask the whole time. Yeah. Or they feel like they've been deceived, basically. Now, three days later, the sheriff was able to track down the pair and question them. And both of them, of course, denied vehemently they had any involvement in the crime and were released without being charged on anything. Now, this really pissed off Tom and John since Brandon went to the police. Yeah. And, of course, Brandon knew, like, there would be repercussions for going to the police, so he was afraid and actually went in moved out of the town and moved back in with Lisa out in like her remote farmhouse like hoping like he could seek shelter with her yeah there was also another person that was staying there temporarily and that was Philip Devine now he was the recent ex of Liz Leslie Tisdale who was Lena's twin sister in the days that followed the attack Brandon would still travel to Fall City to visit Lena avoiding Tom and John at all costs now, that brings us to December 31st, 1993. But, before we get into the events of that day and what happened, I do want to talk about Tom and John a little bit more, so we all know who we're exactly dealing with. John Lauder was hyperactive, slow at learning, and knucking futs at an early age. He would grab whatever was closest to him, a knife, a hammer, a pencil, whatever, to beat up other children. And he was just an angry, psycho little boy. A juvenile court deemed him uncontrollable and a ward of the state. He was in and out of different foster homes and custody up until 1993. This is when he was first imprisoned in 1987 after he was trying to escape detention for being caught for theft. He was released in 1990 but was back in custody in August of that year for burglary and attempted escape. He was paroled in 91 and discharged from parole in 92. Now, the only person that was able to ever talk to him and get through to him was Lena Tisdale, who, like I said, was his ex. They had known each other since they were kids and had been on and off again for a while. Another reason a lot of people speculate that he was so mad with Brandon. Like, in his mind, someone he didn't understand who was wearing a mask and pretending was with his girl, and he did not like it. I feel like he possibly could have been jealous of that. Yeah, so he's like, I'm going to rape him. Yeah. That's great logic. Well, I didn't say it was great logic, but whatever. As far as Tom Neeson goes, whew. He had a rough one. So his mother got got pregnant only 14 years old, married his father, Ed, at 15. And at the age of two, his parents actually split up and moved to Mississippi. He moved with his father. And when he was a teen, he began stealing vehicles, including a semi. He eventually moved back to Fall City with his mother, who was an 
a ton of legal trouble herself. Tom ran off to a homeless shelter not long after in Washington State for a short time before returning to Nebraska and meeting 16-year-old Candy Gibson, who was a mother to an infant daughter at the time. Golly, some young parents. I know. I know, I know. But, like, I feel like the 90s was all about, like, teen moms. I feel like they was really banging back then. Yeah, but I feel that's, like, every generation. I mean, maybe. Yeah, I guess. Maybe. Whatever. Their relationship was incredibly volatile, though. So, Tom enlisted in the Army to go away. Now, I got a little bit confused because he went into the Army, and then he went to the Carnival, and then he went back to Candy by 1992. It was, yeah, like a lot of weird jokes. So, he's a carny. That's the problem. That That's where it all stems from. Yep. Now, in June, they were married, but it was only a few days later that Tom would begin cheating on his wife, and not even a month after being married, he was arrested for arson and convicted, being sentenced to prison for one to three years in September of 1992. I know. Wow. What a great, wow. What a great pair we have here. Now, Tom and John actually met in 1992 while they were couch surfing and partying with the same crowd. Or, now that's another thing. A lot of sources differ on when they met. Some say they met, like, the summer before this happened. And then others say it was the summer in 1992. Either way, they hadn't known each other for that long. But that brings us back to December 31st. They were just like, uh, so you like stealing stuff? Yeah. Did we just become best friends? Yeah. (laughs) Wait, you been in prison, bro? Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I was a carny. What? A carny? <laughs> no effing way, man. <laughs> oh, so, man. Carnies. This brings us back to December 31st. Now, the whole week leading up to that specific day, the two had planned out what they were going to do to Brandon to get revenge for writing them out. But we'll mention that a little bit later on when we talk about the trial. Now, in the early hours of December 31st, they left to find Brandon and made three stops before leaving town. First, they stopped at John's mother's house and stole a knife and two pairs of working gloves. Their next stop was at Eddie Bennett's house, who was a friend. Now, the thing is, Eddie was at home with his wife and they were hosting another couple. So, John was like, whatever, gotta stop in. He walks in alone, asks to use the restroom, and instead of going to the restroom... This stain walks into his bedroom and stole a pistol. Stain? Shit stain. Oh. On the way out of the house, John stopped to fill up Eddie's wife. Now, the last place they stopped was Linda's house, and she informed the pair that Brandon was at Lisa's. So, not only did she tell Tom and John that Brandon went to police, but she was also like, oh, by the way, this is where you can find him at. She wanted him dead. I think she was in on it. I, I think- wouldn't say in on it. She was just like, mm-hmm. Well, I think what it was is she was like a more conniving version of his own mom. And yeah. didn't want, didn't want her, her daughter dating a biological female. That makes sense. And then she was like, oh, I can handle this. Yeah. But, like, she should have also been held accountable. And I also think the sheriff should have been held accountable. We'll talk about that a little bit later on as well. But, like... There was a lot of 
accountability that I don't feel like happened necessarily in this case. Oh, yeah. Tom and John broke into Lisa Lambert's house to confront Brandon, allegedly. And I say allegedly because I will say it over and over again that they sat there, simmered on their anger, and planned out their attacks. So this wasn't just to confront him, as we know. Anywho, they broke into the house and went straight to find Brandon hiding underneath a bed. Brandon was then shot and then stabbed, being killed. Then the two went and killed Lisa Lambert and Philip Devine. Jesus. Yeah. Horrible. Leaving only Lisa's eight-month-old son home in the, uh, alive in the home. We will go a tad bit later, or we will go a tad bit more into details a little bit later when we go into the trial and stuff. But for now, let's go back to this. Tom and John were only in the house for approximately five minutes. So it's like they went in the house, shot Brandon, stabbed him a couple of times in the stomach, shot Lisa, shot Philip, and then left. So the, the, you think they knew that Philip and uh, Lisa were in the house? Well, or they just saw, oh, they saw, so they got to die now. Um,. Yes, on the second one for sure, because we'll also get into that a little bit later. But they would have had a known Lisa was in the house. I mean, it was her house. Yeah. I don't know if they would have known about Philip being in the house because um, he was only temporarily staying there until he could go back home. So I don't know how long he'd even been there. But I would assume they would have known Lisa was there, like I said, because it was her house. Now. Yeah, they're a bunch of shit bags. Yeah. Now, well, yeah, they're really shit back when you hear about. Yeah, just wait. The next morning, Lisa's mother arrived to check on her daughter because she hadn't heard from her. And when she got close to the house, she could hear her grandson crying. So she decided to walk in and immediately saw Philip's lifeless body on the ground. She ran to find the baby in his crib and started to take care of him before searching the rest of the house. When she did get to walk around, she found Lisa laying dead on the waterbed, and the waterbed had been punctured, and the carpet was soaking wet from where it was leaking. And lastly, she found the body of Brandon. Of course, she reported this to police immediately, and they identified Tom Neeson and John Lauder as their prime suspects. It's that dumb heifer's fault this all happened. Not not Lisa's mom. Lena's mom. Oh. Uh, sorry. Sorry, Lisa's mom. So, of course, she, like I said, reported it to the police. They were identified as prime suspects. Now, the, this, the thing is to me, I think it's a little bit funny that they ad- identified these two super fast. And you may ask, why, Alyssa? Why is it funny to you? Like, it's obvious. Well, it's funny because a week later, I mean, a week earlier, they brushed off these two as violent offenders. And they were saying, you know, like, you know, they were downplaying the whole incident. So, it's funny to me that they, I don't know, it's like they finally, it finally clicked a little bit too late. They were like, "Uh uh-oh. Yeah, basically. They're like, oops, screwed up. So, at the scene, the cops found a knife. Inside a sheath and engraved on the sheath was the name Lauder. Another obvious reason. (laughs) Yeah. He left it there? Yeah. He left his name at the crime scene. 
What an idiot. Well, no, no, no. Now, this says at the scene, but later in testimony, it says something different. So, I don't know if it's, like, in the house or if it was, like, on the property. But okay. either way, they were tracked down and finally arrested. When media got a hold of this, they were unfortunately more focused on Brandon's identity crisis than the fact that he was brutally murdered by two men who should have been locked up a week prior. The media was sort of victim shaming and blaming Brandon for hiding the, you know, and going behind a false persona, tech, you know, like quote unquote. Yeah, like that's the big crime in this whole. Well, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Like, what? Who cares? Jesus. He was murdered. But thankfully, of course, the LGBTQ community was behind him and really pushed the opposite narrative and showed Brandon as a martyr and someone they believed that, you know, was a victim of a hate crime, which, of course, 100% would be in nowadays. I do believe these two lowlifes singled him out, humiliated him, and assaulted him only on the basis that he was transgender. Yeah. And that wasn't enough. They came back and murdered him because they didn't agree with his life choices. So it was just like a mix of crap. Now, Tom Neeson was tried first, and his trial began in February of 1995. Peter Blakesley was his lead defense lawyer. Allegedly, before trial, Tom ran around town blabbing his mouth about what he had done, so there were witnesses to say, hey, you know, he told me exactly what he did. Meaning, his attorney had really no chance at fighting that his client was guilty of some sort of criminal <laughs> activity in the... These are real stupid shitbags. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> These guys sound like dumb and dumber. I know. So, jury deliberated for only 18 hours, which I'm surprised they even deliberated for that long, but I wonder if it was because of the degrees, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. Um, but Tom Neeson was found guilty of first-degree murder of Brandon Tina and second-degree murder in the deaths of Lisa Lambert and Philip Devine. They also tacked on a conviction for burglary. They did delay his sentencing until after John's trial, though. So, John Lauder's trial started May 15th of 1995, and Prosecutor James Elworth took no time to state that there was no doubt John was indeed involved in Brandon's murder because he was afraid he would testify against him for the rape. Police officers also testified that the night following the murders, they found a gun and a knife inside a pair of gloves in the Nimaha River, south of Fall City. Let me see it again. Nimaha? Nimaha? Yeah, it looks about right. So anyways, the gun proved to be the one involved in the crimes. The sheath, of course, had Lauder's name engraved on it, and the blood on the blade was tested and proved to be the same type of Brandon's. Now, there was also a psychiatrist that testified that John was mentally impaired and might not have been able to judge right from wrong, but they came back and concluded that tossing the murder weapons into the river indicated that he certainly knew what he was doing was against the law, because if he thought it was okay. He wouldn't have hidden the weapons. Yeah. It even came out in witness testimony that John had threatened to kill Brandon a whole week prior to the actual murder. 
Then, at the last minute, Tom Neeson cut a deal with the state to save his life. And I do mean save his life. If he were to testify against John, the death penalty would be taken off the table and nothing he said would be used against him because, remember, he has yet to be sentenced. And last minute means last minute, heifers. The night before he was supposed to testify he's the, is when he changed, him up. he changed his mind and decided to. Now, defense attorney Mike Fabian attempted to prevent the admission of his testimony, but the judge allowed it anyways. Now, Tom stated that he and John Lauder had committed these murders together. Not only that, but plotted for six days in advance to kill Brandon, starting the day after they had assaulted him. They had actually went to Brandon's home in Lincoln, Nebraska on the 26th, looking for him, planning to lure him to an isolated spot, chop his head and hands off so it would be harder to identify him. Jesus. Yeah, except their plan went in the opposite direction, so they sat drinking, obsessing about what they needed to do. And then Tom testified that it was actually John who was adamant that if there was anyone else in the house that night, that they would be killed. So he said this days in advance, that there would be no witnesses left alive. Yep, definitely premeditated. Oh, yeah, 100%. Now, Tom admitted to stabbing Brandon, but said that John had done all the shootings. Now, one interesting, not interesting, it's actually very sad... But they actually shot Lisa while she was holding her eight-month-old son. Oh, my God. And it grazed her. So then she hands the baby over to, like, Tom. And he puts the baby in the crib and they shoot her dead, like, in front of her eight-month-old son. Going back to Brandon... John had stabbed Brandon after the first shot because he thought Brandon was still alive. Quote, she was twitching, end quote. After this, John Lauder, who refused, who refused, <laughs> golly, <laughs> who had refused to say anything up until that point, except that he was innocent, wanted to finally testify in his own defense. Now, his attorney advised against that as well, but he insisted. Now, on the stand, he denied every aspect of Tom Neeson's account, but was soon caught up in lie after lie, and it just kind of made things look worse for him. By the end, everything he said was being questioned, and nothing helped him. The jury only took five hours to deliberate, and the verdict was guilty of three counts of first-degree murder, three counts of using a deadly weapon, and one count of burglary. Now, the prosecutor clearly was going after the death penalty for how vicious and senseless these murders were. And this is what their result would be. Now, Tom Neeson, like I said, made a deal with the state. So, he'd be sentenced to three consecutive life sentences. John Lauder, on their other hand, would be sentenced to death. Now, of course, once in prison, both inmates tried or started the appeal the appeal process immediately as for john lauder he said he was completely unprepared for tom to take the stand and testify against him saying that he was the shooter when in fact it was tom and he could prove it he also said that he had dna test like or he asked for a dna test to prove that tom's dna was all over the weapons and all such things like that and now 
The judge denied all of this, but Jerry Sushi pointed out that the testing they seeked wasn't even available in 1995 when they would have needed it. And they also didn't know Tom was testifying, so they wouldn't have necessarily needed the evidence anyways. But, like I said, it was rejected. It didn't matter because that appeal process was being thrown out. Now, that wasn't the last of John Lauder. In 2007, Tom Neeson recanted his testimony against Lauder, claiming that he was the only one to shoot Brandon and Tina and that John had not committed the murders. Now, I don't really know why there was such a switch in... Is that what he looks like? That's what John Lauder looks he like. He looks like the bad guy from The Mask. He definitely did that shit. <laughs> oh, well, he did it, but yeah, he does look creepy. Now, in August of 2011, a three-judge panel of the 8th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals rejected John Lauder's appeal in a split decision. Now, in October of 2011, the 8th Circuit rejected Lauder's request for a rehearing by the panel. And John Lauder next petitioned the Supreme Court of the United States for a review of his case. He was, like, damn determined to, like, get somebody to review his case. Yeah, because he's going to get killed if he didn't. Yes, but they also declined to review the case. I do want to say somewhere, though, and I can't find it now, of course, but they... Something happened in Nebraska where they overturned the death sentence, I think. And so his death sentence was overturned. But I can't find what year it was. Which is an unfortunate event. But at least he'll rot in prison. That's him. Creepy. That is gravestone? No, that's Brandon's gravestone. Mm. Unfortunate that it also has Tina R. Brandon on it because... Daughter, sister, and friend. I know. And the thing is, is like, I understand it wasn't as accepting back then, but like, that was his choice. And I just feel like you should have probably respected that, but maybe it's not my business. I don't know. Is that the other guy? Yeah. Okay. So it was 2015. His death sentence or his life sentence was. So, in 2015, Nebraska abolished the death penalty. So, that means John Lauder would now be sentenced to life in prison. Now, one more thing I do want to talk about is Joe Ann Brandon actually sued Richardson County and the sheriff for failing to prevent Tina's death. Or, um, Brandon's death. Of course, she called him Tina still. Um... And she won. She was awarded $80,000. And so I thought that was pretty cool because, I don't know, I guess it it's kind of surprising to me that they would say that, like, yeah, he was at fault, even though he was. But a lot of times I feel like they don't rule in favor of the victim's family when it comes to them suing against officers. But maybe I'm wrong. It sounded like... The mom kind of just wanted some money, too. Based off how she didn't really give a crap about, you know. No, well, no, no, that's not true. Now, she loved her daughter, but she saw her as her daughter. Like, she never accepted the fact that Brandon wanted to be male and any of those choices that came along with that. Okay. All right, guys, so that was the case of Brandon Tina. I hope y'all enjoyed, and I hope... 
It wasn't too dragging. I feel like I'm half dead in this, so I'm sorry if I don't feel like I'm lit tonight. I also don't have Michelle with me, even though I love you, babe. It's real hard to not do it without my co-host. Yeah. I'm not very good at this, but I had fun. Well, I had fun, too, you know. And he's going to go get me some chalky ice cream, and I'm going to wash my face. We're going to watch The Last of Us. Or Blacklist. Alright, guys. So, um, y'all know what to do. Follow us on Instagram at IllNaturedPod. Follow us on TikTok, IllNaturedPod. Facebook group, IllNaturedPodcast. Um, email us at IllNaturedPod at Yahoo.com. Rate, review, subscribe, like, spread the word like wildflower. And we'll catch you guys on the flip side. Okay, bye.